0: Please open up your Bibles to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, We're going to be in the first nine verses this morning. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 1 to 9. And some of you are already intrigued because the title of the message is The Last Days. And you're like, ooh, I'm so glad I came to church today. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 9 uh, today. As you're turning, uh, let's read these verses. We're going to read them through a couple times this morning, as you'll see. But let's see what Paul has to say. He says this to Timothy, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power have nothing to do with them. They are the kind who warm their way in the homes and gain control over weak-willed women, who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Jannies and Jambres oppose Moses, so also these men oppose the truth. Men of depraved minds, who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far, because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clearer to everyone. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, today we come and we need you as we do everything. I pray that you would work within our hearts and our minds this day, that you'd give us clarity to your word, the clarity to ourselves. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd work in us in light of these verses we just read. I pray that you'd use me just as your instrument, your tool, to teach your word. This is our request, Lord. We pray that you would be glorified in it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. morning. Oh, that was good. Some of you, one of you had some energy in that. That was was good. I don't know who it was, but uh, good to hear you. Uh, As many of you know, we're getting right into it this morning. Uh, I may go on a rant today, so I have to get into the sermon, so in case I give myself some extra time. Um, but you know that up front as many of you know I started doing physical therapy for my knees right Uh, in December Uh, and so they actually asked me Friday do you think it's working I go eh I don't know but we'll find out. What we're seeing is So I've been going to physical therapy. I go to the physical therapy over at the YMCA, right? Most of you probably have a general idea where the YMCA over by the public square. What I find interesting, it still says Young Men Christians Association on the side of the building, which is fantastic. If you've ever never knew what YMCA meant, it means Young Men Christians Association. Not anymore, but that's what it was founded upon, and it still says that on the side of the building. But to go to the YMCA, you have to park in the lot across the street, and you got to get one of those tickets, and the gate goes up, and then you go in the Y, you do what you need to do, and they stamp your ticket so you don't have to pay for parking, which is fantastic. I love that. And so on your way out, you give your ticket to the guy in the little tiny booth, right? And over the last couple months, that guy and I have become friends, all right? Uh, he talks to me. Well, we talk, and um, he does most of the talking, about 95% of the talking, uh, because you cannot get much of a word in with this guy. And so we've talked about the 49ers, and the Eagles, and the Super Bowl, and football, and weather, because that's what guys talk about. Even if guys don't know each other, it's sports and the weather. That's what we talk about, right? This is how it is, right? And so we've talked, and so last week, a week before, uh, somewhere around that right, I was wearing a blue North Carolina Tar Heels hoodie, right? And I pull up to give him my ticket, and his eyes lit up. Like, I was giving him a couple hundred dollars. Oh, you're a Tar Heels fan, too? And I'm like, and it was at that moment, it dawned on me. I used to be a Tar Heels fan. I'm not anymore. Because this hoodie is almost 20 years old. It's probably a good 17, 18 years old. And so you all probably have that one piece of clothing that when you wash it, it still looks dirty, but you don't throw it away because it's warm and comfortable, right? I know some of you are there, you won't admit it because you're in public, but you know I'll admit it for you. And so I was wearing that, and it dawned on me when he said, oh, you're a Tar Heels fan, so am I. I had to look at him, and I go, not anymore. Said, what do you mean? I go, I used to like basketball, but I don't like basketball anymore. Now, I'll play basketball on any given day of the week. I I love to play basketball, but to watch basketball, I used to watch NBA games. I used to follow NBA. I used to follow college basketball and root for college basketball and know this and that. And and then I kind of just fell out of love. I lost my love for the game of basketball, at least to watch it. And I want you to keep that in mind. Because this morning, as we move into chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, we come to a very familiar place in this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. Because Paul is talking about the last days and what it will be like during the last days. And when it comes to the last days, though, there is something that has been lost. Just as I lost the love of watching basketball... There is something that is lost during these last days that Paul is talking about. And what I want us to get grab hold of this morning, what you, I want you to grab hold of this morning is this. It is the lost sign of the last days. Okay? The lost sign of the last days. Well, what is the lost sign of the last days? Well, I'm so glad you asked because we're going to talk about that this morning. Now, I have two points, if you will, this morning. I don't know if there are points... But they're what helped me organize my thoughts this week. And so I'm giving them to you so you could follow along with my Polish way of thinking this week. Because uh, we're actually going to be, uh, we're going to start in the beginning, go to the end, and then go back to the middle. Okay, that's going to be this morning. So that's it's a Polish message this morning. And we have to start here with the people, right? It's verse 1 and literally the first, first word of verse 2. We read there is this. Paul says to Timothy, he goes, Timothy, mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days and then that word people. We're going to start looking at the people. We have the people and we have the person. Now we read that verse and everybody gets all excited. I don't know what it is. When you start talking about the last days, everybody gets all excited, right? Their ears perk up, their eyes open up, like their hearts start beating a little bit faster. It's an amazing thing that happens. I actually find it funny. Everybody's always like, Pastor, what are the last days? What are the last days going to be like? What's going to take place in the last days? And I'm like, you can read the Bible too, right? It's what Everybody wants to know about the last days. Well, I can tell you what the last days are going to be like. You ready? I'm going to tell you. So you got to paint this picture in your head, okay? The last days are going to be like this. The New York Yankees are playing the Philadelphia Phillies in spring training. The Yankees hit a couple home runs in a game. The Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Eggs, $15 a carton. Gas, almost $4 a gallon in Pennsylvania. But if you go down south, it's a dollar cheaper a gallon. Wonder why that is? Don't know. In America... There's balloons flying all over the place and being shot down. In Pennsylvania, in the last days, you're going to have 60 degree days and then a 30 degree day and then another 60 degree day and a couple days in the 30s in February. That's what it's going to be like. What does that sound like? Now. now? Sounds just like right now, because guess what? It is now. It's right now. The Yankees actually did play the Phillies in spring training yesterday, just so you know if you're confused by that. Ready? You are living in the last days. And some of you hear that and go, I knew it! I knew we were living in the last days. I knew I was living in the last days. But here's the problem with that. I'm not done yet. People have a misunderstanding when it comes to the last days and what it means. You see, when Scripture uses the phrase, the last days, as Paul does here, he says, there will be terrible times in the last days. Paul is not talking about the tribulation period. He is not talking about the end of the world, what we always consider to be the last days when we hear the phrase, the last days. You and I are in the last days, and no matter your age, you have been living in the last days every single day of your life that's what people don't realize when it comes to the last days see the last days well I'll just I'll give you this verse Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 and first part of verse 2 the author of Hebrews he says this in the past god spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways but, listen but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son jesus The Bible tells us, makes it very clear, that the last days started when Jesus was born. Some people will say when Jesus, you know, died and ascended, all right? So that's a three-year window of time. The last days, according to the Bible, started when Jesus came. And so we have been in the last days for over 2,000 years. And according to the Bible, the last days go from when Jesus came the first time to when Jesus comes the second time. And when Jesus comes the second day, time, that is called the day of the Lord. And when the Bible uses the phrase the day of the Lord, it is speaking about the second coming of Jesus Christ, the battle of Armageddon, the millennium, and you could, you know, the thousand-year reign and all that, and you could break that all down, right? But the last day speaks to the time period between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. And so that is the period of time that is considered to be the last days. Now, with that said, there are last days of the last days. right? So we're in the last days of February, right? So there's going to be the last days of the last days. But the phrase, the last days, just speaks to this period. Hopefully you got that. So the last days, you're living in them. You always have been. They've been from the beginning, when Jesus came, first time, to when Jesus comes the second time. That's the last days. And in that time frame, Paul tells us this. He goes, there's going to be terrible times. Now that shouldn't be a surprise to you. because We're living in America the last couple of years. We know there's terrible times. That word times does not speak to an hour or ten hours or anything along those lines. It actually speaks to a season. Like There's going to be terrible seasons during that period of time. And that word terrible, it speaks to wild animals, actually. Have you ever seen the ocean all crazy because maybe there's a hurricane coming through and just the craziness, the wildness of the ocean, waves going everywhere. That's how that word terrible was used. And so Paul goes, during the last days, there's going to be these terrible seasons. So what do we do with it? Paul goes, well, I'm going to tell you about these last days. And I'm going to tell you about these terrible times. But Paul does not talk about events. He doesn't talk about the weather. He doesn't talk about an antichrist. He doesn't talk about earthquakes and famines and everything along those lines. He goes, people... He goes, people. He's talking about people and how people are going to be, not events. And that's what I want you to see this morning. That's why I brought up the first uh, first word in verse 2. He goes, people. He focuses in on people in the last days. See, we forget that in the last days and as the last days come to a close, it's not just events that are going to be terrible. It's going to be people that are terrible as well. And Paul gives us an example of these people, right? I already told you, I'm jumping around this morning. So Paul gives us two examples of these people that he's, he's talking about here in the end times. And it's verses 8 to 9, right? So I need you to follow along with me. He goes, just as Jannies and Jamborees opposed Moses, so also these men opposed the truth. Men of depraved minds who, as far as faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. And so Paul gives us an example. He, he gives us two men, Jannies and Jambres, right? I don't know what was wrong with their mom and dad, but they gave them these names and we have to work with them, right? All week long, in my mind, I've called them the J and J group. I don't know why, I, mainly because I can't pronounce Jannies. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. Paul goes, these two men are examples of the men, men and women, the character of people in the last days. So here's my question. Who are these people? How many of you have ever heard of these people before? Other than reading this passage of scripture. I didn't think you would. You want to know why? This is the only time in the whole Bible that these men are named. The only time in the whole Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, you're going to see their name. What Paul tells us though is that these two men opposed Moses. Right? So who are they? What are we supposed to do with this? Well, this is where we have to go into the Jewish tradition a little bit. And I need you to follow along with me with that. All right? In Jewish tradition, their commentaries, uh, their, their writings, these men are talked about. These men seem to be two of the magicians in Egypt when Moses led the people out of Egypt. Some of you are like, well, I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. You got to go with me. Charleston Heston played Moses, right? How many of you with me? We got to go this way. You all are nodding off, right? So, you all know Charleston Heston played Moses in the Ten Commandments, right? The old one, not the new Ten Commandments, because the new one isn't as good as the old one, right? But we won't get into that, right? So, Charleston Heston, as Moses, comes to Pharaoh, and what does Moses say? Let my people. All right, good. You're with me, right? So what does God do through Moses in Egypt to get Pharaoh to let the people go? He sends plagues, okay? Somebody over here got it? We're good, all right? This side, you got to bring some more energy, right? So we have ten plagues that God sends to the people of Egypt or upon Egypt through Moses, okay? Or with Moses, however you want to describe that, right? If you were to look in Exodus chapter 7, Exodus chapter 8, I think all the way up to maybe Exodus chapter 11, when you're going through these plagues, many most of the first plagues, right? Moses would do something, and then Pharaoh had his magicians do the same exact thing, right? For example, one of the things that Moses did was he took his staff, threw it on the ground, and his staff became a snake, right? Anybody remember that? Okay. If Bob's shaking his head, I'm going to go, right? Which is gone, right? So, what the magicians of Egypt did was they threw a staff down and it turned into a snake as well. They imitated what Moses did. The funny part is, Moses' snake ate their snake, which I find hilarious, right? And so they were able to imitate what Moses did. Another time is when God turned the water into blood. Guess what the magicians of Egypt did? They turned some water into blood, right? Just take more of your drinking water, right? It's okay, right? And so they were able to imitate. Those magicians, Jewish tradition tells us that these two men that Paul mentions here, Janries and Jambres, are two of those Egyptian magicians that opposed Moses during that time. You got the picture? You understanding with me? All right, good, right? So what happens, and this is going by tra- Jewish tradition, which Paul would know Timothy would know, the Jews in the church would know. What happened is this. Moses gets Egypt, uh, Moses gets Israel out of Egypt, and they go to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up on the mountain for like 40 days. What happens with the people down at the bottom? They start worshiping? Well, yeah, we'll throw that. Well, golden calf, right? Start worshiping a golden calf. Moses comes down, goes off his rocker, breaks the Ten Commandments, Mushes it all up, makes the people drink it. I love Moses. Moses is absolutely great, right? Moses is wonderful, right? Love Moses, right? But here's the thing that the Jewish traditions say, Targum say. These two men, Janries and Jambries, left Egypt with the nation of Israel. And it was these two men that started that worship of the golden calf, When Moses was up on the mountain. And so they opposed Moses. Now what most likely happened. Is that they left Egypt with the rest of the nation of Israel. And said listen their God is more powerful than our God's. And so we're going to side with the nation of Israel. And so from all external purposes. They became Jewish. And they started going with the Jews, and then it got to the point where like, we're in the wilderness, we're all going to die, let's start worshiping the old gods. Well, Jewish tradition tells us that when Moses came down, Jan's and Jambres were slaughtered because of what they had done with the nation of people, a uh, nation of Israel, right? So from the outside, these two men were looked upon or became God's people, but they did not love God and they led people away. And so you you can see how they have opposed Moses in many different ways. Paul goes in the last days, that is what people will be like. His they will be like these two men, and what they'll try to do is what Paul mentions in verse 6 and 7. His day are the kind who warm their way in the homes and gain control over weak-willed women are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning, but never able to uh, acknowledge the truth. Because they're this kind of person. They worm their way in or sneak their way in the homes and gain control over weak-willed women. Now I have to pause on that, because some of you are going to think that Paul's harping on women again because he says weak-willed women. He's not. This is men as well. right? This is men as well. But in Paul's culture in his day and age, Who would be home by themselves more often, men or women? Women, right? So when you're home alone, you're fighting your own sin and your temptation. You have spiritual questions, right? You're hearing this teaching and that teaching, and you're taking part in this gossip and that gossip. Guess what happens? You open yourself up more for an attack from Satan. Same thing happens today. These women that Paul are talking about, and once again, it's men and women... They're weak in virtue and knowledge, as Paul says in verse 7. He goes, they're always learning, but never acknowledging the truth. They go from one thing to another thing. Well, I'm going to try this diet. Well, that diet didn't work, so I'm going to go to this diet. I heard about that diet, so I'm going to go to that diet. And they're always going from one thing to another, and they're leaving themselves open as a target. And so these false teachers do the same thing that Jannies and Jambres did they insert themselves and then they start to try to pull people from the Lord <clears throat> and get them to worship someone or something else other than Jesus. And so Paul goes in the last days there is going to be people like janries and jambries who have this outer shell but in reality they're trying to pull people from Jesus. So how do we know who these people are? Because I don't want this to happen, right? I don't want this to happen to anybody. So how do you know who somebody is? Well, you you have to not look at the people, but you have to look at the person. You have to zoom in on the person because the more you get to know a person and their character and their traits and everything about them, you get to know who they are. And so that's when we go back to verses 2 to 4 and we zoom in on the person. Paul says this person, he goes, people in the last days, will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Whew. Did you count all of those? It's 18. 18 characteristics. So as I read those to you, What time period did that sound like? Right now. Right now. But here's the thing. These words have matched every generation. Every generation since Paul wrote them, these words have matched. Eighteen characteristics. Three minutes on each one this morning, we won't take as long, okay? No laughter. If you don't laugh at my jokes, it just makes the sermon longer, okay? Right? It's just how You should know that by now. Even laugh when they're not funny, alright? makes me feel better, alright? I'm not going to hit on each one of these 18 because you're all adults, or most of you. You should be able to read that word and go okay, I have, an, I have a working idea what that is, okay? But I do need to touch on some of these, alright? The first one The very first one is first because from it springs the rest, all right? The other 17 characteristics happen because of the first one. And the first one is this, lovers of themselves, first characteristic. This one is the spring that causes everyone after it. Because of this first one, the rest of them happen. You think lovers of ourselves is our culture today? We don't have to argue that. You better believe it. Our culture is all about loving self. It's what is taught in schools and life and culture. You take care of self first. You love self first and foremost. Do what you want. Life is all about you you love you. Then love others. I don't know if you ever heard this saying, you can't love somebody else until you have loved yourself. Huh. It's our culture. I was watching uh, cartoons with the kids yesterday morning, and there was a line in the, one of the previews for the shows, and it was a girl, a teenage girl, and she says, uh, I love me. Okay. Can I tell you that that thinking is wrong? Loving yourself first and foremost, it's not just wrong, ready? It's sinful. It's sinful. Do you know that as a culture, the more we have ingrained in ourselves and in our kids to love ourselves first and foremost the more we've ingrained that thought and that belief into ourselves as a society, the more isolated we've become, the more we've been filled with anxiety and depression. Why is that? Huh. Maybe because it's the complete opposite of what God tells us to do. It's the complete opposite of God and his word. Because what does God tell us to do? Love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. God tells us, love Him first and foremost. Not yourself. You want to know who loved themselves first and foremost? Satan. Satan loves himself first and foremost. And so we live in a culture that tells us to love ourselves first and foremost. Well, guess who we are imitating? Satan, not God. Because God tells us to love Him first and foremost. And so our whole culture, our whole mindset of loving ourselves first and foremost is opposite, wrong, and sinful when we come to the Bible and what God calls us to do. Our culture is all about us first and foremost, nothing to do with God, let alone love Him. You need to understand this, and I know this may bother you, but it's it's the scripture, so I have to tell you, if you are of the mindset of love self first, To teach kids to love self first, you are teaching and living sinfully. You're setting kids up for destruction down the road. You need to love God first and foremost and teach that to others. Here's what, and now I'm not saying hate yourself, this doesn't mean we hate ourselves because Paul tells us elsewhere. You have to have a proper view of yourself, right? So he's not saying, you know, exalt yourself above everybody else and everything else. He's not saying, you know, put yourself in the gutter. We have a proper attitude of ourselves. But guess what happens when we become lovers of self? We become lovers of money. That's a second characteristic. Lovers of money. You think that's our culture? Yep. It's all about money. Everything. And why is everything about money? Because we love ourselves and money enables us to do what we want to do to please ourselves so that we can love ourselves with the money that we have. And so in order to love ourselves, we have to love money. And so we become lovers of money. Well, you know what God tells us? We cannot love and serve him and money. He tells us that. There are so many people that would rather have money than Jesus. I've asked you before, if I was able to give you $50 million and ask you this question, you could have $50 million or Jesus, which would you take? Jesus. Unfortunately, for many people, even in the church, they would take the money. Because we have become lovers of money. Not only that, if you jump down to verse 3, we become lovers of pleasure. You think that's our culture? Absolutely. I've seen animals living in more pleasure than I live in. you got nice little outfits, sunglasses, stroller, you know, all these types of things. I don't get pushed around in a stroller, right? Not at all. Our culture, our life is all about pleasure. For, live for the weekend. Why? Because it's on the weekend where we have pleasure and we get to do what, our, what we want. I hate to burst your bubble, but work is not sinful. God placed Adam in the garden to work it before sin ever entered into creation. Work is not sinful. Work is what you've been created to do by a loving God who works at all times. We are not to be lovers of pleasure. Now, does God want you to enjoy pleasure and rejoice in pleasure? Absolutely. But you can only fully enjoy pleasure after you love God first and foremost. Because it's loving God first and foremost that you can truly and fully enjoy pleasure the right way. If you love pleasure before God, you'll have misery. But once you start to love yourselves, then you love money, then you love pleasure, and then Paul starts to go on this. And back in verse 2, he goes, they become proud or boastful. Boastful. What does boastful mean? It's all about me. You know the person who's always talking about themselves? They don't stop talking about themselves. It's all about them, all about them. I've done this, I do this, this is me, look at me. That's boastful. Why are they boastful? Because they love themselves. Then you have the word proud, very similar. And then we come to the word abusive. Well, abusive, in your mind, goes right to physical. Physical. And yes, that is in this word, but this Greek word speaks more to a verbal abuse. Why do people abuse other people, verbally or physically? It's because they love themselves and that person is bothering them. They can't fully love themselves in the right way because of what that person is doing. And so we become abusive. Well, then there comes one here, disobedient to parents. Very hard for me not to go on a rant this morning, just so you all know that. I already mentioned that. Disobedient to parents, you know, that's our culture. Kids in general do not listen like they once did. Why is that? Well, we can get into a whole host of things, but I'm not going to do that. But I am going to tell you this. When you love yourself first and foremost, and then teach your kids to love themselves first and foremost, not God, guess what happens? When you tell them not to do something... They're going, but I'm supposed to love myself first. If I can't do that, then I can't love myself first. And so I'm not going to listen to you because I need to love myself first. Does that make any sense to you? That's why kids don't listen. Because everything tells them, you have to love yourself first and foremost. And then a parent comes along and goes, no, you can't do that. But I need to love myself. I want to love myself. Everything tells me that I need to be loving myself first and foremost. And because I love myself, I want to do that. And since you're telling me I can't do that, I'm going to do it anyways because I want to love myself. Congratulations. That's our culture. It's our culture. And I'll tell you this, the decay of the family... Destroys a city, a town, then a state, and then a nation. And guess where America is at? We'll continue, because you want to leave at some point today. Ungrateful. Ungrateful. You know what that means? Not appreciative. They think they're entitled to everything. That's our culture. Why does somebody think they're entitled to something? Because they love themselves first. Well, then we come across the word unholy. Now, when we hear the word holy, we think of set apart for God. We talked about that last week or the week before. That's not exactly what this word holy means here. This word unholy speaks more to uh, being to a lack of respect, a disrespect for sacred things. It it talks to the lack of common decency. This Greek word would be used in the Greek culture when they wouldn't give a a burial to somebody who died. Just a lack of common decency. You think that's our culture? I think so. But then he goes on to say, without love. And that word love there speaks to the family love, a natural love within the family. Because so they don't have this. There's not that bond, there's not that closeness of the family that should be there, it should be natural. And then we have the word unforgiving. That word unforgiving is not just speaking about somebody who won't forgive other people. It is talking about somebody who they won't agree with anything. They won't compromise on anything. They just won't do it. They have to have their way on absolutely everything all the time. Why? Loving themselves. And what's next? Slanderous, well, you know what slanderous is. Without some self-control, you know what that is. Brutal, you know what brutal means. Then you got not lovers of the good. You know what that means. I'm not going to go through all of that. You, you have an idea of that. Then we come to the word treacherous. I can't even pronounce it, but you know what it speaks to? It speaks to somebody who can't be trusted. They betray others. They will lie and break promises whenever they can so that they can get their way. And why is that? Because they love themselves. And then you have rash and conceited. Rash just speaks, I'm not going to think, I'm just going to act, I'm just going full throttle all the time. And you know what conceited is. We look at that list, and we could spend a lot of time going through these things and unpacking them more and more, but I think you see them. I think you have a working understanding of them, and I think you see that it's our culture if you were to describe our culture, our time right now, you could use all of these words. But here's the thing. They would fit any culture. As I get older, I realize something. The older you get, the more you only remember the good things of the past. We don't remember the hardships and the difficulties as much as we used to. And so when we come to Lovers of self and conceited and rash and unforgiving and the rest. We only apply that to the new generation, the younger generation. Because no way could those words ever, you know, line up with my generation. Absolutely not. But the truth of the matter is that all of those words can be found in all of the people in any generation since Paul wrote this. Judas was a lover of money. So Paul goes, this person is going to be part of the terrible times in the last days. Now, I started off the message with a statement. And the statement was this, the lost sign of the last days. And I phrased it that way on purpose. I'm not saying this is actually a lost sign. I phrased it that way because I wanted to get you thinking. Because there is something in this that we forget, that we lose sight of. You see, the lost sign, if you will, is this. As I've gone through this morning and talked about janries and jambries, and we looked at the 18 different characteristics in verses 2 through 4, you thought of everybody outside the church. You see, the lost sign is this. Paul is talking about the church here. He's talking about the people in the church. And we don't realize that. Because we'll look at these verses and these people and go, absolutely not, is that me? I'm I'm a Christian, I'm in the church. You see, the lost sign of the lost days is the church become lovers of self. And they won't love God first anymore. Guess what happened to the church of Ephesus? They lost their first love. Guess where Timothy is pastoring? Ephesus. Because these are people in the church. Well, how do you know that, pastor? Verse 5. Paul goes, These people having a form of godliness but denying its power... Paul goes, these people have a form of godliness. Everything on the outside looks godly. Everything on the outside looks like they love Jesus and they know scriptures. They go to church and they sing and they praise and they lead and they do all these things. On an external state, they have a sign that they love God, but in reality, they don't love God. So it's like janries and Jambries. What did I tell you? From the external look at things, they looked like they were Jewish Part of God's people. But internally, they didn't love God. They didn't care about God. They didn't know God. And so they denied the power of God. They never truly believed in God. As one commentator says, a religion without reality. A religion without reality. You see, Paul is talking to and about a people, a person, who from the outside looks and sounds really good. they're a godly person. Someone who would go to church and sing and lead and teach. As I said, there's no reality to their faith. They've never been truly born again. I came across two stories this week in my studies. One was this. One lady was teaching Sunday school class in her church every single Sunday. But she was having an affair on her husband. And she told people, I don't feel guilty about it at all. And then there was another study, uh, story I came across. In one church, there was an elderly couple in their late 80s. Both the husband and wife were murdered. And the pastor did the funeral for the two of them. And during his eulogy, he, he kept telling people how close he was to them. He was so close to them that he would actually call them mom and dad. Well, guess what happened six days later? That pastor was arrested and charged and convicted of their murder. You see, Paul is talking about false teachers, and I will even say false believers that come from within the church. You have to remember that Satan will attack the church from one of two ways. He'll attack from the outside, but then he'll attack from the inside, and the way Satan attacks the church from the inside is through the people that make up the church, that he'll get into their hearts, he'll get into their lives, lead them astray, and as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, that will spread. And so Paul is talking about false teachers and false believers. Paul is giving to Timothy a warning about the character of people in the church in the last days. He going, Timothy, you have to watch for this. Timothy, you have to guard against this. Timothy, you have to make sure that these are not the characteristics of the people that are in the church because then it's not going to go well. The church is going to become a lover of self and they're not going to love God. And everything on the outside is going to seem like they all love Jesus, but in reality, they don't. They love themselves. But then I started to think, and then I started to wrestle, and then I started to pray. And here's why. Because I had to stand here in this very room on Thursday and go, Is this me? Am I a lover of self more than I am a lover of Jesus? And through prayer, guess what? God was very clear and goes, yeah, You love yourself more than you love me. And so I had to sit there and wrestle and pray and go, Well, if that's me then what about the people in the church? What about our church as a whole? And so here's my question to you. Is this you? Do you love yourself more than you love Jesus? Do you love money more than you love Jesus? Do you love pleasure more than you love Jesus? Are you in love with the person in the mirror more than you love Jesus? You see, we read these verses, and we don't think, "Go, that's me." We don't do this, but this is where the scriptures work in our heart like a surgeon's scalpel. Cutting away, trying to transform and change our lives. This is where God goes, this is where I want to change your life. I want to transform you. we got to cut and get rid of the things that are not right and not godly. And this is where we have to allow Scripture to work within us and allow the Holy Spirit to work on us because that's what God wants us to do. It can't just stay at the surface level. I could easily stand up here and go, yeah, these are going to be characteristics of people outside of the church. In the end time, you're all going... Good message, I'll be on the way for that, and go home. The Holy Spirit wants to change you. He wants to make you more like Christ. That is what the Holy Spirit does in us. And God uses the word like a knife to cut away the things that are in us and on us, that are not good, that are keeping us from Jesus. And so when we come to a text like this, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. I'm not trying to throw guilt at you. I just admitted to you that it's me. But we have to allow the Holy Spirit. And we have to go, Lord, is it really me? Do I truly love myself more than I love you? And I'll be honest with you, there will be times where you can honestly stand back and go, right now I love Jesus more than I love myself. But if you're honest, there's going to be times in your life where you have to raise your hand and go, yeah, I love myself more than I love Jesus right now. And I love money more than I love Jesus right now. And I love pleasure more than I love Jesus right now. And it's in those times where we have to be honest about and go, you know what, it is me. I am the person of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Because what happens is when we start to love ourselves more than God, we become proud and boastful. We disobey parents. We become ungrateful, unholy. We become slanderous. We become the person that Paul is talking about here. And in that, we show our flesh and our sinfulness more than we're showing the goodness and the grace and the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is then that we are on a slippery slope that sends us away from Jesus and closer to him. I know this is a hard question, and it's why I left it to the end, but is this you? Is this us as a church? Do you love yourself more than Jesus? If so, let me say three things. Repent. Repent. Repent means change of direction, what your heart, your mind, your attitude, your behaviors. Repent of your sin of loving yourself Or whatever other sin you noticed in that list, that is you, you need to repent of it. You need to come before God and go, Lord, this is me. I confess of it. Forgive me. Help me with it. I'm turning away from it. You need to repent of it. Second is this. Have nothing to do with them. What do you mean by that? Well, Paul says in the second part of verse 5, says, having a form of godliness but denying its power, he goes, have nothing to do with them. The them there is not the people of the world because how would we share the gospel of people of the world if we don't have anything to do with them? Paul says pretty much the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, where he's talking about brothers and sisters in the church that are not living a godly life, that they're just allowing sin to take over their lives. Paul says there's nothing to do with them. And so something I mentioned last week or the week before. If you're surrounding yourself with people that do not love Jesus first and foremost, stop surrounding yourself with them and surround yourself with people. And honestly, none of us are going to love God first and foremost perfectly, but that needs to be the strive and the mark and the goal and the aim of our lives. And those are the people that we need to be surrounding ourselves with. And we have to remove ourselves from the people who just want to love themselves and make themselves known more than Jesus. And the third thing is this. It's fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. I can't tell you how to do that. Well, I can. But it's so basic, it'll go in one ear and right out the other ear. Study the scriptures and pray. Look for God in your daily life. Rejoice in what Jesus has already done for you. And as you do that, you'll fall more in love with him. Our culture, our world, <clears throat> does not need to see more people in love with themselves. Our world does not need a church, another church, in love with themselves or with the pleasures of the world. The world needs, the people need, our cities need, our families need, people and churches who are desperately in love with Jesus first and foremost, who have been changed by Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, living to love Christ, finding pleasure in Jesus, so that the world can see and know and hear that life, true life, forgiveness of sin and purpose is found nowhere else other than Jesus. So, who do you love first? Who do you love most? difficult question, but it's needed. Let's pray. Father God, we give this morning to you. I pray that you would forgive us for loving ourselves first. Forgive us for loving pleasure and money and the things of this world more than we love you, Jesus. I pray that you would forgive us of that sin. I pray that you'd help us to repent of it and turn from it. Help us to fall in love with you, Jesus, so that the world may know you in and through us and that you would be glorified. We give this to you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.